Well, good morning. We've had a great time of worship, have we not? I hope that you're ready to hear from God's Word, and I want to welcome you, and I want to thank you so much for coming this morning. And if you are watching online, I want to welcome you, and I'm so thankful that you've been able to worship with us today. God's presence is felt in a mighty way in this place, just like I know He is in your room or wherever it is that you may be worshiping Him. I want to remind you again that if you're a guest this morning and you're looking for a church home, I'm going to ask that immediately following the service, if you would just meet me or meet one of our people out at the guest services desk, and there's some information there that we'd love to give to you as a gift, and if you're thinking or you're praying about where you want to make your church home, we're praying that you might consider making Central Community your permanent church home. Well, I want to tell you, one of the things that I have already made a decision about in my life, in fact, I've already driven, driven, or I've already drawn a line in the sand in, and that is that I know where I'm planning on spending eternity. It's not because of anything that I've done. It is totally and everything about what Jesus Christ has done. And because of that, I want you to know, like you, I live with a peace that goes beyond all understanding that has my heart guarded in Christ Jesus. I'm not afraid to die because I know where I'm going to be. Death is the final enemy, but it's already been defeated. So when that time comes, there's going to be a hand, the Bible tells me, it's going to be a hand with the nail prints in it. It's going to reach out for mine. And I promise you, I'm going, to, I'm going to grab a hold of it, not with one, but with two hands, and I'm going to hold on with everything I've got. And then he's going to walk me. We're going to take a walk into the heavenly bliss of my eternal reward. Don't you want to live with that in mind? And that's how what Jesus is telling us here today. He's telling us, my friends, live with the end in mind. Don't live in the now. Remember where you're going. This is not my home. I'm not going to build my kingdom here either. But I do have a kingdom. I have a really nice mansion. It's huge. Someday I'll show it to you but you got to meet me in heaven. Amen? Now, I do know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there are many within the hearing of my voice who do not know who Jesus is or who are straddling the line. And I want them to make a decision. But I also want you to know that I've made another decision this week. I'm no longer just going to stand by and watch. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight for what's right. I'm going to fight for my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that his word continues to go out here in this land. And you know why? Because I have two eight-year-olds, two six-year-olds, and a two-year-old that I want to make sure are in heaven with me when it's all said and done. Can you relate to what I'm saying? I want to begin by reading a passage from Scripture. Look at this Scripture from Psalm 122. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. How many of you have been praying for Jerusalem recently? I have. 
I've upped my game. And the reason is, as we've learned through this series, here's your sign, is what happens in Jerusalem matters. So I did some research. And I want you to know that according to Wikipedia, Jerusalem has been totally destroyed 23 times. Did you know that? 23 times Jerusalem has been wiped out. Listen to this. 44 times Jerusalem has been captured and recaptured. But here's what's amazing. In addition to all of that, Jerusalem has been attacked 52 times, and that number continues to grow. You know what that means? It means that Jerusalem is the most conflicted piece of real estate in the history of the world. You know what's kind of funny? And I don't mean funny, funny, but funny, strange. You know what Jerusalem is referred to? The city of peace. Ha! Right? If anything, it's the city of great conflict, right? But then, my dear friends in Christ, why should we be surprised about that? It's the very place in the Old Testament that God chose to reveal his presence. And it's also the place in the New Testament where Jesus promises he will come again. Now listen to me very carefully. Satan only responds to what God is doing. Have you ever wondered why his focus is so much in Israel? I want to show you this passage from the Old Testament, from the book of Zechariah. This chapter is on the second coming, and listen carefully to what it says. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west. It's coming. Can somebody, there we go. Forming a great valley with half of the mountain going north and half moving south. In verse 2 of this chapter, if you go and look, it talks about that all of the armies of the world are going to descend upon Jerusalem to destroy it. But in verse 4, as we've just read, Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, he will defeat all of those armies, and he will once again restore peace. But Jerusalem will always be a place of conflict. And here's why. Satan knows that when Jesus comes again, his end is sealed. And because of that, he's doing everything he possibly can to keep Jesus from coming. But he knows that Jesus could come at any moment. And he also remembers the words from the Father that he will be thrown into everlasting fire, never to be seen or heard from again. Amen? Amen. Amen. Stand with me out of respect for God's word. As I read from Matthew chapter 24, 
beginning at verse 23 through 31. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out, or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there are vultures also will gather. That simply means where there's smoke, there's fire, okay? Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, continue to build my faith and protect my mind and my heart from that which Satan tries to deceive. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we're coming to the end of our series. In fact, next week, Pastor John is going to be preaching on the final parable in this particular chapter. But today, I think, is really a very important day because, once again, God is reminding us through his son Jesus of what are the things that we're supposed to look for, but his message hasn't changed Do you remember where he and the disciples are right now? They're still up on the Mount of Olives. They've been there now for four weeks, right? And on this Mount of Olives, they're having a conversation, and Jesus is telling the disciples, because the disciples have asked them a question, when when will the end of the world come, and when will this temple be destroyed? And so Jesus is telling them. And once again, Jesus started out by telling them, don't be deceived. I want you to know loud and clear that today, once again, for the very third time, Jesus' message is the same. Don't be deceived. Can I ask you a question? Why in the world is Jesus so many times telling us not to be deceived? Have you ever thought about that? Why? Well, I think that's obvious because I think he's afraid we might be deceived, right? And so he reminds us, not once, not twice, but three different times, don't be deceived. I want to ask you a question. As you look at the world today, as you listen to it on your favorite news station or however you view the world, can you see Satan at work? Well, let me be a little bit more specific. Can you see where he's working? And do you know his strategy? My friends, his strategy hasn't changed from the very beginning of time. Have you realized that? For a moment, let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. 
And Satan is in the tree, and there's Adam and Eve. And Satan goes to Eve, and do you remember what he said to her? He said to her, telling her, oh boy, I'm sure this fruit looks really good and all of that kind of stuff. But remember, he's in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve were not supposed to eat from that tree. And remember what Satan was doing? He was testing Eve to see if, in fact, she knew the word of God. Why would he do that? Because he knew that Eve wasn't there when Adam was given the instructions, right? We talked about all of this before. So what did God say to Eve? Satan, or Satan says to Eve, so what did God tell you? Remember what Eve said? She said, we're not supposed to eat from this tree. And then she added something that God never said. Remember what it was? We're not even supposed to touch it. Bingo. Satan knew he had her. She didn't know the word of God. And what did Satan do? Eve. Did God really say? You see, all Satan did was is he planted a seed of doubt. Now back to our world today. He's doing the same thing today. Satan's strategy then and now is to attack truth. Why? Because truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. Remember the Bible says, Jesus tells us in John 14, I am the way, I am the what? Truth. And Satan hates Jesus. And he hates the Jesus in all of us here today. Satan knows his end. He knows he's going to be destroyed. And so what Satan wants to do is he wants to try and destroy the name of Jesus. But here's the kicker. He wants, to, he wants everyone to know that the way he's going to hurt God is he's going to take as many of his children with him as possible. And so what is he doing right now? He's planting seeds of doubt. What do we call it? How about this? Fake news. I mean, do you not sometimes watch TV and think, they must really think I'm stupid? Really? Don't you ever think that before? I mean, some of the things that you go on, I mean, I go, hey, Lori, does it say stupid on my forehead? You know? Don't answer that question. All right. Now, I want you to go on, and I want you to look at this here. Look at this. Truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. And I want you to know that right now in our world, Satan's goal is to destroy truth because when there is no truth, there is no standard. Now, here's my question. So have you figured out where it is that Satan seems to be working the most? How about this? Politics and media. Oh, my word. I guarantee you I could say one word here and we'd have a brawl. <laughs> but those are the areas right now that you see Satan really mixing it up. And here's part of the problem. We've kind of got sucked into this because we've been looking in politics for a leader. And the Bible tells us you're never going to find a spiritual leader in politics, right? Right? And then Satan is using the, the vehicle that politics likes to use to get out the word. 
Here's something I think is unbelievable. Do you realize in the United States, of those people who trust the mainstream media, okay, I'm talking about mainstream media, less than 29%. Think about that. I'm talking about the CNNs and the Fox and all of the MSNBC, the mainstream media, less than 29% of all United States citizens believe them. You know where the power is right now? It's in the local media. Or maybe in social media. That's where people go to find their news. But Satan is doing everything he can to plant seeds of doubt so that anytime somebody speaks, the first thing that comes to your mind is this, that can't be true. All right, now let me tell you why this is so important. Satan's work out in the world Attacking the truth is meant to eventually seep into the church. You understand that's the plan. Satan's goal is for all of that doubt that he's establishing in the world to begin to seep into the church. Why? Because Satan wants all of us asking this question. Can I believe my pastor? Or... If everybody else is lying to me, how do I know the Bible is the word of God? How do I know that Jesus is truth? And when he has us in this position, now he can work his evil. And my friends, that is what Jesus is concerned with in his conversation with his disciples and I want you to hear it from your pastor's voice. Trust the word of God. It is truth. Jesus is who he says he is. Do not allow any doubt to seep into your being. And when it does, push it out. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will what? He will flee. But when those thoughts begin to seep in, make sure you get rid of them. Now, here's what I want to you to understand. I want you to know what deception is. Here's the definition. Deception is a subtle mixture of truth and error. I want you to think about that. It's a subtle, subtle, you can hardly tell the difference of truth and error. And what I want you to remember and understand is that anything that is a little bit false is nothing but a big fat lie. And that's what Satan's trying to do. My friends, he even tried it with Jesus, didn't he? In the temptations, he quoted scripture to Jesus, but Jesus knew the word of God and he was not going to allow Satan to deceive him. My dear friends in Christ, once again, Jesus closes this part of the chapter by telling us, my friends, don't be deceived. Look at this scripture verse here. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. 
or there, or excuse me, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out, or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. I want to start with the end in mind, okay? Here's what Jesus is saying. When Jesus comes again the second time, it will be so obvious he will leave no doubt. Everyone on the face of the planet who is alive will know when Jesus comes again. And the Bible tells us, he gives us the example of it's almost like lightning. When you're out at nighttime and it's completely dark and you see the lightning go across the sky, everybody knows what's going on, right? All right, now, let me show you two verses of Scripture that tell us this thing. Look at this. Here's the first one. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. So what's he saying here? It's not just those who are believers. It's everyone on the earth will see him, and all peoples on the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Here's another one. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones. My friends, hear me loud and clear. When Jesus comes, you will know it. I remember last year, I came to church one morning. It was in the summer, and there was a young man who was sitting out at the, uh, he was sitting out at the pond. And I had seen him there every week for a couple weeks. So I decided I was going to go out and have a conversation with him. He'd been waiting for me. When I got there, he opened up his Bible, and he began to go through his Bible with me, and he told me he was supposed to partner with me. God had told them that he was supposed to partner with me. And then he went through all of these scripture verses, okay? He picked my interest. I wanted to hear what he had to say. I wanted to listen to very carefully. And then he gave himself away. He said to me, to prove that what I'm saying is true, I'm going to tell you when Jesus comes again. Aha! Look at what the Bible says here. But about that day or hour, no one knows not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. You know what's interesting about this is that if you go back in the Old Testament, all you see is deception, 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 deception of how Satan tried to deceive someone. I want to go back to the story of Moses and Aaron. Remember those guys? Moses and Aaron are in Pharaoh's court, okay? God has told Moses, hey, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and now he's beginning to deliver the signs or the plagues. Let's pick it up there and see what happens. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things with, by their secret arts. 
Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staff. Now, here's what I want you to think about right here. So here's Moses and Aaron, and Moses tells Aaron, throw down his staff, and he does, and it turns into a snake. The magicians of Pharaoh are also there. What do they do? They throw down their staffs, and what happens? They become snakes. How do they do that? You know how, don't they? It's Satan's powers. It's the power of evil. And I want you to know that, that as we go toward those end times, the Bible tells us there will be unbelievable, almost magicians who will be able to do signs that will look like that of the Heavenly Father. How many of you ever watch magic shows? Aren't they cool? I mean, I've seen them remove, make an elephant disappear. How in the world do you do that? It's pretty convincing, right? But here's what I want you to remember. There was, here Satan was trying to deceive Moses, but he could not. Tell me, why could he not deceive Moses? Here's the answer. Because Moses talked to God, and God talked to Moses as a man talks to a friend. Moses was a friend of God. Don't make the mistake of focusing on the imposter. Know the real thing. You know how Moses couldn't be deceived? It's not about understanding the imposter. It's all about knowing God. When I was growing up, Coca-Cola, it's the bingo. So I want you to know, I'm a Coke guy. I'm not a Pepsi guy. If you're a Pepsi person, God bless you. But I'm a Coke guy. You know why? Because it says it's the real thing. Now, here's what I want you to know. If someone were to give me a drink and say, I need, to know you, to, I need you to tell me, is this Coke or not? No problem. Give me a Pepsi. Pfft, that's not it. Give me an RC Cola. How many of you know what that is? Ah, there's a few of my brothers here, okay? I would know it in a heartbeat. Why? Not because I study Pepsi, not because I've studied our Royal Crown Cola. It's because I know what Coke tastes like. I know it's the real thing, and you can't deceive me because I know what Coke is like. And my friends, that's what Jesus is telling us right here. He's saying the way that you will not be deceived is you just simply have to know the real thing. You ought to know God so, di- so deeply that when he whispers, you hear his voice. When someone speaks about this, is, you can boy tell God, it's like you can know because you know the characters of your God. And that's what Jesus is telling us. You don't get to know the imposter by focusing on the imposter. You focus on the real thing, and that's Jesus Christ. We're almost done now, Okay. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and great glory. All right, now, what's happening here is that this is a quote Okay, Matthew is quoting from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. 
Let me just show you what I mean by that. See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. Now I want you to know that yes, there's a lot of symbolism in this part of the verse, but don't get mixed up. Don't get get deceived by the symbolism. It's very simple. This is what it says. When the Son of Man comes, his glory will be so brightly revealed that the glory of the creation will be veiled. That's all it means. In other words, you think the sun is bright? You ain't seen nothing yet. The sun, the moon, everything that gives light and reflects light, compared to the glory of Jesus when he comes, it will all be veiled. Now watch this. The city does not need to be the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. My friends, when we get to heaven, there will be no sun. Because the Bible tells us that the glory of God is so bright, it will be the light that we need. Now I want to remind you of something. Jesus, the last time he came, he came as a baby. He came as Messiah. But rest assured, my friends, when he comes this time, he will come as a judge. And it will be too late. You will know the difference, believe me. But he comes to judge and to punish the world for its sin. The Bible tells us here that one of the things that we should be looking for is the, son, or the sign of the Son of Man, okay? Well, what is the sign of Son of Man? Listen very carefully. I don't know. I've seen a lot of commentaries. I've seen a lot of different answers, but a lot of people, they just don't know. It may be a cross. I don't know. But that's not the part that I'm concerned about. What I'm concerned about is what the Bible says next, and it says that there will be mourning in Jerusalem and mourning amongst the Gentiles. That's what I'm focused on. You know what that means? It means all of Israel, when Jesus comes again, they will know instantaneously that they were wrong in following their forefathers. But listen, it will be too late. And the Gentiles will also be mourning. You know why? Because when Jesus comes, they will realize they were wrong and that Jesus is who he says he is. So my friends, as we close this, I want to close with this scripture verse. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. I want you to know, for the believer, this will be a party. This will be a joyous time. I want you to think about the moment that you realized what Jesus Christ did for you. 
I want you to really think about that time when you knew that your sin, past, present, and future, had been totally wiped out. I want you to think about that moment when you heard in the scripture when it said, as far as the east is from the west, he remembers your sin no more. I want you to think about that moment when you heard that scripture that said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you remember the joy? Maybe it was like this. Forgiven. Itau, it's good, it's true. Spontaneous rejoicing breaks out. This went on for two and a half hours. I want that for you. And I want that for every person in our community and in our world. So I want to end with this question. We all know that Jesus is coming back. What do you want him finding you doing when he comes again?